Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. This is a Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 54. A what, 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 what? Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, the guy who'd have a unibrow if it wasn't for his tweezers, Pat Flynn. Yep, uh, it's true. I am a plucker. Hey, what's up? This is Pat Flynn, and welcome to the 54th session of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. I'm really happy to be recording more frequently this year, and I've got an amazing lineup of topics for solo shows and also interviews with some amazing people with some incredible, incredible success stories and advice for all of us. It's going to be awesome. Uh, in the meantime, I thought it'd be fun to share that since the last podcast session, the SPI podcast in total has crossed over the 2.5 million download mark. And the rate of downloads per day is definitely on the rise. We're averaging maybe five to 6,000 downloads per day. And when an episode comes out, um, like hopefully it will for this one, uh, the downloads are you know between 12 and 20K for that day and a little less the day after and a little less the day after that. So really, all this just to say thank you for that. I know some of you many of you have listened to multiple shows. I actually got a tweet today from a listener, Adam Ross. Adam, if you're listening, thank you so much. Uh, Adam Ross is over in the UK, and he told me through Twitter that he had just finished listening to 15 episodes in three days, which is totally incredible. But I know a lot of you are also first-time listeners too. And to you, uh, if you're a first-time listener, thank you. I hope you enjoy the show. And if you like it, of course, you can dive into the archives. You can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever is convenient for you. So for today, I wanted to talk about something really actually extremely important, something we all know about, something we all do every single day, but we don't really think about it, at least in as much detail as we're going to get into it today. So what is it? It's a click. Not click like, you know, in high school, the cool kids had their click and the band people had their click and... I was in that click, the band click. Uh, that's not the type of click I'm talking about. I'm talking about people on their computers using their mice or their fingers on their touchpad or iPad or iPhone and actually physically clicking on a link. That's what I want to talk about today. It's such a small thing, but I mean, it, it, it takes a fraction of a second to actually happen. But the click 
is what initiates a path on your website. It's what leads to a transaction. It's it, it, it controls the experience that people have on your site. It helps people find what they're looking for or even may help people find something that they didn't even know they were looking for. It's so small, yet it's so important because online, without it, you wouldn't really have any results. Now, a lot of you know that I recently took archery lessons. Uh, that sounds like a funny transition uh, into archery now, but there's a point. So I recently took archery lessons. My wife bought me lessons for my 30th birthday, which was awesome. In the uh, in SPI Podcast 51 with Tim Ferriss, I actually talked about taking those lessons with him. I didn't take them with Tim, but I talked about taking those lessons on the show with him. And he gave me some tips and stuff like keep my head still, make sure I follow through and things like that. Well, I, I took the archery lessons and I, I did pretty well, even on my first time out. You know, I consistently uh, w- would would shoot in the red and yellow areas in the target. And after going back a couple times later, you know, I, I felt like I was doing really good. I was really consistent. But, you know, I'd go to the range and practice and I met some ridiculously amazing archers, some way younger than me, like 12, 13 year old, 13 year old kids who would just kill it i mean they could hit a dime from 20 yards away and i wasn't even hitting a bullseye from 10 and it made me realize that there there are actually a lot of parallels between archery and doing online business not just the fact that it seems like there's a lot of young people involved now who are just crushing it but more so the fact that you know i went there first time and it was it was pretty easy to do okay you know you hold the bow you attach the arrow you pull back you aim and release right but in order to master archery, in order to master that skill, it's just there's a lot of, there's a lot of little details that have to be learned and practiced and mastered. And I, I mean fractions of a degree and angle that can change everything. You have to learn how to breathe steadily and control your heartbeat and all those sorts of things, how your fingers come off the, the string. All these things. And it's, it's, it's understanding all these things that can really make a difference in your performance, which is why I think understanding something as little as a click in online business and blogging is such a good thing to do. So I'm, I'm going to attempt to tackle this idea of the click today. You know, it might seem kind of crazy that all we're going to be talking about today is a simple action of a click, but there's so much to it when you really think about it, you know, what it takes to get people to click on something, what the link should say, what... I mean, should there even be a link at all? What about buttons or anchor text or calls to actions? You know, there's a psychology behind it. And if we can better understand what's going on when it comes to the simple action of a click, the better we can control how people click around our website. And when you can do that, when you can control how people experience your website, you are on to something. When when you when you can, based on your design of your website, which it's a whole nother podcast episode in and of its own. We could talk for hours about website, uh, website design. And I'm sure we're going to do that in the future, especially when Smart Passive Income gets redesigned here in the next couple months. But going back to it, when you can control people who arrive on your site based on the design of your website, the text or the copy that you have on your website, and what actions you enable them to take, for example, clicking on things, you are on your way to success. Now, did you hear how I just said what actions you enable them to take? That's really important. And that's really the first main point of all this is, is, is you own your own website or blog. You have total control of how people move around and navigate through it. You are in power and you are the one that can enable people to click on stuff 
or not click on stuff or do anything. You know, be conscious about anything and everything you are doing on your site or you're having other people do on your site when they get there, especially when it comes to user experience. That's really what it's all about. The click is such an important part of that user experience. I mean, when people arrive on your site for the first time, they are given the option to read or click on something, right? And typically many of all of those things all at once. So that that first impression when they arrive on your site is really important. But what happens when people click on something and they get deeper into your site? A couple of things happen. First, that little click is an example of what I like to call a mini transaction or like a mini commitment. You know, a click is good, even if it's not for a product or to subscribe to something, even if it's just to another page on your site, or even just to, you know, I don't know, enlarge a picture or graphic on your site. That little click is a sign that your reader is vested in your site to some degree. They haven't left yet, and they've made a decision to stick around and click on something, which means they want to explore further. That's really important. And there's some great strategies for getting people deeper and deeper into into your site, which we'll go into. But beyond that, beyond the fact that it's a mini little commitment or, you know, it's like a, hey, sure, let me see what you got type of thing. Uh, And this is something not very many people talk about. You know, when someone clicks on a link of any kind, it can sort of become a like a reset, you know, a transition. The page goes blank for just a second or a few seconds and the page reloads uh, another portion of your site. And, you know, once again, they experience that first impression. It's not the first impression of your whole site, but it's another new page they're visiting for the first time. And if it's not what they're looking for or not what they expected or it's not up to the quality of what they are already used to, then you have a problem and and people could leave. You know, it takes it takes a lot of work to get people committed to keep going and go deeper and deeper to, into your site. But it just takes that one little misstep to send them away. So the main point here is just Again, to be conscious, to be conscious specifically of what people are clicking on and what happens and where they go when they do that. So the most obvious example, uh, you know, this is an extreme example, but it happens to a lot of us, is when a user clicks hoping to get some type of information or because maybe you told them to uh, go there and then boom, a 404 error happens. It's a broken link. That page that they expected is not there most likely those people are going to go away. You know, some will click the back the back button and give you like a second chance, but many, especially first-time visitor, visitors, you know, they're out. About that, actually, uh, about the broken links, which, which I said are bad, obviously, there are two things you can do. Here's your first sort of, I guess, actionable item of, of the podcast. First, you can just check to make sure you don't have any broken links. You know, you could do this a, a few ways. If, if you're set up with Google Webmaster Tools, uh, again, there'll be a link in the show notes, which you can get at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 54. You can pick up Google Webmaster Tools, which is recommended, and you can get information directly from Google about what links are not found. So if you log into Google Webmaster Tools, you can see your site errors right there on your dashboard, or you can actually click on, um, I think there's a section on the left-hand side that says health, and then you can go to crawl errors and get a list of all the bad links that are there. Sometimes there are links going to content on your own site. Sometimes there are uh, links that go outside of your site that are broken. Either way, they're, they're not good. Now, another tool you can use if uh, specifically you're on the WordPress platform, you have a WordPress blog for your website. It's a plugin called Broken Link Checker, 
which will monitor links in your posts, your pages, and even comments and detect links that don't work. And it does a number of other things for SEO, you know, search engine optimization, so you don't get docked for having too many of them. I think the plugin can prevent search engines from following those broken links, which is helpful. And you can also edit the broken links or delete them right from WordPress in one location uh, in your backend instead of having to go from post to post and editing each one individually, which, which can get pretty annoying. Now, another strategy that I actually implement myself as well uh, it's sort of a fail-safe in case anyone ends up on a 404 page, which they shouldn't, but sometimes they do. Uh, is they, it, it, This strategy is, is just basically having a redesigned 404 page or an optimized 404 page. So a lot of people forget that the 404 error page is actually a page on your site that potentially a lot of people can, can land on. So my page, my 404 page, you can actually find that by uh, going to smartpassiveincome.com slash and then just slamming your head on the keyboard and typing random letters uh don't do that but i'm just saying if you find an error you know smartpassiveincome.com slash you know gibberish and then you'll you'll reach my uh 404 page uh you'll see it has some text that says sorry the page you were looking for is not here please use the search function or the links below to help you find what you're looking for and then there's a search bar uh, a search bar under that and then a list of my most popular posts a list of categories and tags that way, even if people, you know, through error reach that page, they have less of a chance of, of ditching me. You know, there's still stuff on that page that's useful. You know, most people on that page probably click on the most popular post uh, area or they click on a category hoping to find what they were looking for. Now, I actually had my web designer do this for me because it does include some extra PHP code to show the most popular posts and things like that. You know, many WP themes or WordPress themes have a 404.php page that you can edit straight from the theme editor in WordPress. But if you don't know what you're doing, I I would avoid doing that because you can totally screw up your theme. I've done that before uh, and it can be very confusing. But if you have a VA or a web developer or even a friend who can help you out, you you can just ask them, hey, can you add this, that, and this on my 404 page so I don't lose people in case they click and end up on a broken page? Very useful stuff. Uh, so I, I went off on a little tangent there for a little bit, but I think that it's all important stuff. You know, what happens when people click on a link and it's broken, you know, it ruins the experience. So hopefully those things will help you. And now that we've covered that part of it, you know, let's talk about linking within your posts. Obviously, this is where a lot of clicking will happen, but there are kind of two levels of, of links that you can include within your posts to get the kind of highest leverage, I guess you could say. Now, there are certain strategies that that I like to follow that I'm going to share with you. And again, this is crazy that we've been talking, you know, almost 15 minutes about clicks and links. Uh, But we still have a lot more to cover, and and it's all hopefully going to be very helpful to you. So let's talk about the first level of links. Again, these are the types of links you can include within the posts that you write, you know, what they are, when you should use them, and, and things to avoid and things like that. The first level is what I like to call, in case you were wondering, you know, in case you were wondering. And these are links that are typically included within paragraphs and sentences within your post that link to things that uh, where, where people can learn more information about something that they might not know about or they might want to learn more about. And the keyword there is might. It's not a call to action. That's what makes this first level. It's not aggressive at all. And there's no, no sort of request from you, the blog author, or website owner to click on this link. 
because you don't want people who already know what's on the other end to click it. You want those people to keep going or just pass over it or ignore it. But for the people who maybe aren't quite sure what you're talking about or need a little bit of confirmation or uh, more information about whatever it is uh, or maybe who are just curious, these sort of in case you were wondering links can actually help those people go deeper into your site because they're learning and not getting confused along the way. You know, a common use is linking to an older post that sort of defines something that you are now talking about in a new post. So for example, if I was writing a post about ways to get more traffic to your site and I mentioned the word pillar post in a section where I talk about writing epic content, for example, I'll link pillar post to a previous post where I, where I explain more about pillar posts or have examples of pillar posts. So it might read like this. It might read, another strategy for getting traffic to your site is to simply write epic content. By publishing high-value pillar posts, you're more likely to create awareness to your articles for a longer period of time. So in that sentence, where I mentioned pillar posts, I would link to an article that explains more about exactly what pillar posts are that I would have already written, or maybe it's someone else's article, I don't know. Pillar posts would be the anchor text. You know, People who need that information, who are wondering about what it is, will click on it to learn more. People who do not will breeze over it and continue on. This is opposed to doing it this way. By publishing high-value pillar posts, click here to read more about pillar posts, you're more likely to create awareness to your articles for a longer period of time. Or, by publishing high-value pillar posts, you're more likely to create awareness to your articles for a longer period of time. Read more about pillar posts here. How is this different? They are essentially doing the same thing. You know, they're linking to the same article, but really they're not the same. Because in these later examples, you're actually telling someone literally what to do. You know, click here to read more posts about pillar posts or click here to read more about pillar posts. You want to save your call to actions for when it really matters in your post. Not for these in case you're just wondering type stuff. You're still linking to it, which helps, but you don't need that call to action here for something like this because it's, it doesn't really matter if people click on it or not. Now, you might be saying, well, what if I did it this way? You know, and here's another example. If you're interested in reading more about pillar posts, click here. Now, that's different, and it does take care of the, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a call to action. It's not forcing people. It's saying that, hey, if you're sort of interested in reading more about this, uh, click here. But that's nine extra words that you don't need. And if you have a lot of those on your page or your post, it's going to break up the flow of your content and it totally breaks it up. And anyone who already knows that information is going to just get annoyed because they're going to keep seeing these kind of sidebars within your post. You know, you want your post to flow as much as possible. Now, a lot of people, especially in fields or industries or niches where there are a lot of definitions to cover, they'll use this kind of strategy, this in case you were wondering, uh, link for definitions. Either definitions they've defined on their own site or simply linking to, say, like a Wikipedia article, for example, which I've done a few times on the blog when I didn't want to waste real estate on my site within a post to define something that I could have easily just, you know, non-aggressively linked to in case anyone wanted to know more about that thing. Again, you want people to click when and where it matters to them and to you as well. The thing is, there are different kinds of people on your site. You know, there's, there's ones who need this, these links 
you know, it's non-aggressive. And to those who are already who already know that information, they won't even see it as a link, and they'll keep reading. So that's the first link level. The second link level, uh, you know, the, the the first one was ah, well, in case you're wondering, let me help you out. The second level is I want you to click this. This is the call to action, the one where you are actually telling people what to do. You're telling people to click right here. Please visit this link. Click here to get this. Buy now. You know, subscribe. Those are all strong commands, and there's sort of an art to the call to action. You know, and some things I personally like to do when it comes to using the call to action, uh, specifically as a link, because sometimes I'll have call to actions that are, you know, just hey, keep reading, which I uh, sometimes use within posts when I'm going to reveal something that I've been creating buzz for. You know, I'll say, hey, keep reading to find out. That is a call to action that keeps people going. Uh, sometimes the call to action is just to simply leave a comment, in which case, you know, you don't have, they don't have to click on anything or uh, on something before they start typing in a comment or, a, or an opinion or question. But here in today, uh, in today's session, we're talking about links. And before I get into how to use call to actions uh, to get people to click on them, I want to talk about something that I saw in a post slash video on socialtriggers.com. Uh, with Derek Halpern. The post was titled, What's the Best Color for High Conversions? And essentially, when we're talking about call to actions and clicks, we are talking about conversions. You know, we use call to actions when we want people to do something, so we are aiming for higher conversions. So again, go to the show notes and click on the link for this video uh, that I'm talking about if you want to watch it, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 54. You know, it's a great video all of Derek's new videos are fantastic and, and, and highly entertaining too. Uh, he has like bloopers in there and stuff. Now in this video slash blog post, uh, what's the best color for higher conversions? He actually gives you the answer. Now the answer is your particular site's action color. Now if you go to socialtriggers.com and you look around, try and see what's purple. Purple is Derek's action color. You know, every part of his site where Derek wants you to do something, takes some sort of action, is purple. His links are purple within his sidebar, in his posts. Uh, it, you know, if you open up a post, there's a section at the top that's purple where you can subscribe to his email list. Um, and this is kind of something, you know, that I might be able to improve on because he, he, he talks about a site that mistakenly uses a red action color, uh, which is the color that I use. And he told me it wasn't me that he was specifically talking about, um, but I am using red. So, you know, the, the reason that that might be not a not so good thing to do is because red is actually a stop color traditionally. You know, green is go, red is stop. But it's working for me. You know, I'm getting clicks, but it is something I should probably test out. Uh, you know, the major lesson here is that your links should definitely stand out on the page and hopefully match the sort of action color that you have on your site, the one that you've sort of trained your audience to understand that, hey, this is where I want you to do something. So going back to call to action, link level number two, this is where you consciously, and I know I keep saying that word consciously, but I only say that so many times because, you know, and, and this is a problem that I have too, you know, we, we just like to throw things up and hope that they work, and we don't really understand why we do what we do sometimes. You know, but the call to action is where you want people to perform some sort of specific action, and it's where you're actually telling them to do that. If what's on the other end of that link doesn't really matter, then it doesn't deserve a call to action. 
let me say that again. If, if what's on the other end of that link doesn't really matter, then it doesn't deserve a call to action. Think about that. You got to play your call to action card wisely. And I feel like a lot of people waste the call to action cards that they earn. Now, let me explain this a little bit more. When people arrive on our websites for the first time, we as the blog or website owner have zero call to action I'll call them points. We have zero call to action points for a brand new visitor. Now think of a point as literally a point that we can redeem, you know, and when you redeem more than you have, you're you're done for, you know, you're, that person's gone. So what happens when people come to your site for the first time and they read an article and you have an immediate call to action, like right at the top of the, uh, of the article? You've redeemed more points than you've earned. You haven't earned any yet and you're either not going to get that person to act on that call to action or you're never going to have that person come back to your site. So I take, I typically leave my call to actions for after I've, quote, earned my uh, call to action points from people. So how do you earn call to action points? Well, you just write really great stuff. You know, you provide helpful information, stuff that is actually useful, that makes an impact on the reader, that introduces them to something new, that surprises them, that 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 piques their curiosity, that you know, you just give away so much information that they feel like they owe you and they're going to look for a way to pay you back, and many times that is through some sort of call to action. Now, this is why most of my call to actions are going to be later in the posts and sometimes right at the end. You know, if I've written something that I know is helpful, that is that is a great article, then I know that when people reach the end of that post that they have momentum and you can take advantage of that momentum with a call to action. You know, they've reached the end of your post, there's gotta be something else for them, for them to do. It's almost a sin not to ask them to do something else after they've read your post, whether it's leave a comment or, or, or click, click on something. Maybe it's read another article that you have or maybe buy a product of yours or, or buy a product that you're promoting as an affiliate or share that article on Twitter or on Facebook and actually asking them to do that. You know, just having the buttons there isn't enough. You actually have to tell people to do it. And if they're at the end of the post, that's when they're, that's okay to do that. You know, if you ask them to do that before them getting to know you and the content that you have, uh, that then that's not good. But if they've spent the time to read what you have or watch the videos or listen to your podcast, then you can tell them, I would love for you to, re- to share this. And, and more than likely, they will. And the more sort of call to action points you've earned along the way, the more actions that you can have, the more call to actions that you can have. Now, a lot of people take advantage of reader momentum by injecting call to actions, not just at the end of their posts. You know, I could potentially be a little bit more aggressive with this, but they include them at the end of sections within their posts. You know, a certain point was made or something was revealed and then bam, call to action. And then another few paragraphs, another point made, and then bam, another call to action. You know, multiple call to actions within a post. You're sort of collecting and redeeming those call to action points along the way at the same time. And this can be helpful, especially if your post maybe covers a lot of different topics. Now, there's some important things to keep in mind when it comes to the call to action, and and that is your goal for the reader. Now, we're going to be talking about, you know, when to open, you know, when people click on something, does it open a new link or a new window, or does it open in the same window? So let me explain. For link level one, which is, again, the sort of, hey, just in case you're wondering type of link, that type of link should always, in my opinion, it should always open in a new window. Not in the same window, but a new window. 
and you could set this and you know you can you can set your links to either open in, in the new window or an, or the same window when you create those links in WordPress. Why? Why a new window? Because you ultimately want people to keep going down that original page that they were on. You know, if you're linking to a definition or something, for example, or an older post even that you explain something more of, if you open into the same window, they lose their place in that original article where they that that they that they were on. You know, they might get sidetracked. Maybe maybe you've linked to a YouTube video in the same window, and 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 uh, the, you know your article's gone. They're on YouTube now, and they're watching you. But then on the sidebar, there's a video for six pack abs that was featured. So they click on that, and then sooner and la- sooner than later, they forgot about where they came from, and they're on the floor doing sit ups or something. You know, you want them, you want your readers to be able to go back to where they were before they left you. So if you're going to include these links that are sort of like sidebars for people who need a little bit more information, always open them in a new window so people can close that and go back to where they were. Oh, that's what it was? Okay, well, let me go back to the original article. Not many people go back and then scroll down. I mean, you want people to do as little work as possible when it comes to navigation on your website. Now, with link level number two, the call to action, do you open them in a new window or do you open them in the same window? Well, the answer is it depends. You have to ask yourself with each individual link, where do I want that reader, my readers, to end up? Literally think of their experience when clicking on that link all the way until they eventually have the need to close that window or they finish up. You know, the most obvious example would be if I were to link to a product of mine at the end of a post after delivering a ton of free content, including some copy about whatever that product could do, that would and should open in the same window because I'm continuing the path that they were on. If it's in the middle of a post, for example, and it opens up you know, maybe an article on another site that proves my point or I don't want the reader to necessarily just leave, then it'll open in a new window because I want them to go back to where they were. Again, just sort of think about it from your reader's point of view. I, I think a lot of us don't do that as much as we should. I mean, that should be our number one priority is to make the user experience on our site as seamless as possible. So again, just sort of become your reader for a second and see where your links take them before you hit the publish button. And obviously, you can always change things after you publish and, and edit things. But you know, just try to keep a conscious mind when you're including links on your site, things that people can click on. Where are they actually going to end up? And what is that experience like? Now, another thing to think about is just the sheer number of links that may be included in a particular post or on your website or just in your website in general. I mean, this is partly why Smart Passive Income blog is being redesigned because I'm getting a lot of complaints from people, especially new users who come to the site and they are overwhelmed with the amount of things they can potentially click on. Now, if you go to smartpassiveincome.com right now, you'll see there's a lot of options that I'm giving people. Too many. Too many options are bad because it'll just hinder people. It'll stop them from actually taking any action. It's the sites that have fewer options, options that can be sort of seen at a glance that perform much better. Now, copy, you know, text in and around, uh, you know, your links and, and where people can click for call to actions is, is very important as well. And if, if you can pique people's curiosity at the same time, when you include those links, you'll do so much better. It's, it's very much like writing a headline. I mean, the, the point of writing a great headline is to stand out, get noticed, and have people click through to read your post, right? 
Same thing with your links. You want them to stand out and be compelling enough. Again, we're talking about call to actions here. You want them to stand out and be compelling enough that people would want to click on it, that they want whatever it is on the other end. This has to do, again, with something I learned from Derek from socialtriggers.com. He's sort of my resource for all things psychology. It's this thing called the information gap theory of curiosity, which explains that it's just it's just human nature to want to know what's going on. You know, So if, if you can create a gap between what people know and what people don't know, they're going to want to fill in that gap and people will be willing to take action to do to, to do so, to click on stuff, to find out that information, to look, to fill in that gap. That's really the theme behind all of this podcast session, you know, knowing where people are and then giving them the means to figure out something or fill in that gap because people will click when they're curious. People will click when they are curious. So I, what I want you to do is the next time you're reading a post, you know, not writing one, but reading one somewhere, see and try to notice how the owners of those blogs or websites are using those links. I mean, we didn't talk much about the sidebar. Uh, we could devote an entire session to what to put in your sidebar. There's a lot of debate about that. Do you put everything in there or do you only put a few important key items? Uh, you know, I've seen it work both ways. But when it comes to links within your posts, try and see what kinds of links you're actually clicking on on other sites and which ones you aren't. You know, which ones are you actually clicking on? And what 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 is the strategy behind there? I did this exercise the past couple of days leading up to this podcast session, and it, and it was actually really interesting. You know, I definitely found that when I didn't understand something and there was a link nearby, sort of link level one, it actually felt really nice to know that the author was sort of in my head and gave me a way to learn more and read more about something that I didn't know about. And when I did come across these kind of level one links, but I already knew that information, I didn't even know that they were there sometimes. You know, I sort of just somehow ignored them uh, and didn't even think anything of it. And it was those articles that were great, that taught me something new, that that just blew me away, that that just surprised me, where I was actually searching for ways to give back. So if there was like a retweet button, I would do that, or a like button, uh, I, I would like the article. When it comes to call to actions, it was the call to actions that were surrounded uh, by that 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 just kind of piqued my curiosity, where I really wanted to know what was on the other side of it. Uh, that that got me to click through quite a bit. So I want you to try this. You know, keep track for maybe a day or two of sort of what really are you clicking on uh, when you're reading posts. You know, you're going to learn a lot about about why you do what you do. Uh, try to do that extra exercise on your own, and and be sure to try and use the methods that you feel work best uh, for your own site. So to finish up, and we've been talking about clicks for over a half hour now. Uh, to finish up, let's talk about Be Everywhere for a little bit. Be Everywhere. For those of you who don't know what Be Everywhere is, it's sort of my the, the name of my particular strategy for creating a sort of widespread, almost viral brand online by not just creating content and pouring energy into a single website, but strategically tapping into resources where audiences already exist through other mediums such as podcasting and YouTube. That's uh, session 28 for those of you who want to listen to that presentation. Now, I'm in the middle of writing a book titled Be Everywhere as well, and I'm making progress on it as we speak, although it's it's going very slow, but I am making progress. Anyway, the Be Ever strategy has worked really well for me, and it's working really well for others too. But at the core of this strategy... Even though we're producing content outside of a blog or a website, the core of the strategy still is a great website and then, or a great blog. Why? Because the website 
or blog is exactly where all of the action takes place because that's where the clicks happen. You can't click something you're listening to and you can't click something you're watching, although nowadays those kind of lines are starting to blend a little bit, which is pretty cool. But generally speaking, in the Be Everywhere strategy, your website is the hub. It's where you want all your iTunes listeners, your YouTube traffic, traffic from other sites, you want them all to come back to your site because that is what you can control. Just like we talked about earlier, you can control the user experience on your own site. So get people from all those you know, arms of your business back to the core, to your site, and then use clicking strategies to control the user experience. So just keep that in mind. So I hope you enjoyed today's session. I kind of wanted to throw something a little bit different at you today. We talked about something really micro, and a lot of times we get into the macro, bigger idea type stuff, but this this click thing is very important, so I hope you kind of take one or two things away from today's session. Um, and I would love to hear from you, actually. I want to know what maybe strategies you have or um, can think of when it comes to getting people to click on stuff on your website. So if you can go to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 54, you'll see the show notes there. You can leave comments or questions there. You can see what everyone else is saying as far as click strategies. Um, And I'd love to hear from you. So thanks for listening. Have an amazing day and look out for another session next week on the SPI podcast. We have an amazing guest coming in. And please, if you haven't already, this is my call to action here at the end of the session, uh, please leave me a rating and a review on iTunes. I would really appreciate that. And please just stay safe, stay healthy, and I will talk to you very soon. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John, who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure, and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.